resist running toward. The human mind can't always comprehend the traps laid by that which preys upon us, especially that which does not seem capable of having a mind of its own. Such is the case with Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 0253, Dagger. A blade of dubious origins and insatiable appetite, Dagger has cut a swath of destruction through the lives and communities it invades. The blade latches onto its host like a parasite, and feeds without mercy, enacting its terrible ritual again and again on those closest to the propositus. Dagger does not appear to be biological. It has, however, displayed alarming manifestations of sentience, its behaviors ranging from the sadistic to the merely cunning. The anthropomorphizing of phenomena is disapproved of by the Redwood Bureau Science Division, but as a former agent, I can say with certainty that some hideous truths don't always begin and end with being measured not by the metrics we know. Joseph Tanner was only 17 when his encounter with RBP-0253 altered his path forever. Now forced to endure a gruesome half-life confined to a bed at a Redwood medical facility, Mr. Tanner has lost everything to the machinations of Dagger. The following account was recorded when he was at his most sensible, moments that come few and far between as his years in confinement progress. With their typical disregard for human life, Redwood Bureau has seen fit to withhold a merciful death and extend Mr. Tanner's tortured existence until more answers as to Dagger's impact can be discovered. Mr. Tanner now splits his days between begging to be spared from the lasting fallout of Dagger and pleading to hold the knife in his hand one more time. I had a fascination with ancient weapons since I was a small child, so when I saw the ceremonial dagger at David's Antiques, I knew I had to buy it. Being 17 at the time, I couldn't buy blades due to the local jurisdiction, but I knew the owner of the store and since he knew that I just had an interest in history and the macabre, he commonly held onto these kinds of things and sold them to me alone. The dagger was something special, he told me. Unlike most of the antiques at the shop, which came from estate sales, this one was sold to him by a man who desperately needed the cash. He didn't even take much for it. He was happy for anything. So I figured he was likely some sort of druggie. But it was strange to find something of so much value on an addict. 
In fear of destroying the dagger, David only ever held it with latex gloves and he kept it in a case in the center of the shop. And it seemed to call out to me through its case. When researching the runes on the side of the blade, David found it to be ancient Aztec in nature. A blade specifically used in a ceremonial human sacrifice. Considering its age, the fact it may have been used for real sent delighted shivers up my spine. Not for the loss of life, of course, but because it's such a rich and dark history. After my dismal wagey paycheck finally came in on Friday, I rushed down to David's antiques immediately. The blade almost glowed behind its glass and I swear I could imagine so vividly its chance of a ritual as I stared at it. The metal was old and rusted, but the runic etchings were still quite clear. The blade itself was curved like a sickle. Death at the hands of the blade had to be nothing pleasant. I hurried to the front desk and I said, David, I finally saved up the 120. Thank you so much for discounting the price for me. You're always my go-to guy. David grinned, revealing a few rotten teeth. He was an old fellow, far too old to still be working, but you could tell this was his passion. Scraggly white hair surrounded the bald spot, making up most of his head, and it gravitated down into a wispy beard. He wore a stained wife beater, classy choice, and oddly enough, Winnie the Pooh pajama bottoms. His nearly black eyes never seemed to look quite straight, but neither did his mind for that matter. In his smoker's voice, he said, I know you'll cherish it and not resell. You're one of my best customers. I slapped my money down on the counter and he slowly flipped through it, smiling and saying, A pleasure as always. Here, put these gloves on. You don't want to damage your new acquisition. <coughs> David handed me the key to the case. When I was smaller, he used to come around to the counter and unlock the cases for himself, but with his old age, his back and his legs, they just weren't what they used to be. I clenched the key tight in my hand. I put on a pair of black latex gloves and then strolled over to the case, unlocking it and dramatically raising the glass. The blade shone in the flickering light, and I carefully took it out, gazing at it as my mouth gaped. This would be my most prized possession, I thought. After handing David back his keys and giving a wave goodbye, I hopped onto my bike parked outside, put the blade carefully into the attached basket in the front, and I pedaled away back home. I would share the blade with my parents and little brother before heading off to sleep that night and all the while making sure no damage was done. I arose to a blinding light. I assumed it was my mom opening the curtains to force me up for school, so I groaned. Not yet. But the light didn't end, and I also didn't hear my mom's nagging. 
I forced myself to open my eyes wider, and when I did, the light ended. I looked outside, but it was still dark out. My alarm clock read 1am, so it very much was still nighttime. Figuring it was someone with high beams or those new ultra bright LED headlights, I shrugged and sank back into bed. When I awoke the next morning, my mom stood over me, eyes and mouth agape. I looked around to see what had happened, but as far as I could tell, nothing was amiss. It was 6am, so I didn't miss the bus. Then I realized I felt metal in my hands. As I looked down at myself, I held tight to the ceremonial dagger, and I panicked, holding it closer to my eyes to ensure it was fine. And it was, so no harm, no foul. But my mom didn't agree all was fine, yelling, Joseph, why did you sleep with a knife? What were you planning to do with it? Worry was written across her face. My mom was a beautiful woman with brown eyes and black hair, and her complexion was rather fair, but at times like this when she panicked, her wrinkles began to show. She stressed too much at the worst of times. Mom, it's all good. I must have sleepwalked. I wasn't doing anything. I said, and she suddenly muttered to herself before slinking off to help my little brother prepare for school. I reshelved my blade, staring deeply into it. For a moment, I swore I saw the moon's glow in its metal, a magnificent radiance, but I shrugged it off and prepared for school. The school day went by as fast as one could, moving at precisely the pace of a slug despite how often I found myself browsing the internet in search for more information on the dagger. But the more I looked, the more I wondered how David found his information. I could find no blade quite like it, and none of the runes matched up. Even as I searched up Aztec runes, I found nothing matching up with the symbology of the blade. That old kook, I thought. I love the man, but he sure did like his fable sometimes. No doubt the blade was a relic, but... With further research, I highly doubted it was anything South American in origin. At least not Incan, Mayan, or Aztec. It made me even begin to doubt the story on where he discovered it. Knowing him, I wouldn't be surprised if it came from a forgotten dumping yard or even his own backyard. I considered for a moment showing it to a museum, but... The idea bubbled away as I worried they might try to force me to sell it to them, if it truly was rare. If it was, I wanted to keep it for myself for research purposes. And it would also make a neat family heirloom. Soon the school day ended and I found myself home again. I considered briefly reaching back out to David to discover more about the blade, but I worried he would just tell more fables. Beyond that, he may find offense if I said it is an Aztec, and since he often found me all sorts of neat trinkets, I wanted nothing less than to offend the guy. After dinner, I found myself once again staring at the blade. 
I tried to reverse search the runes and the entire blade itself, but all that popped up were similar but not proper blades and they were incorrect runes. It got to a point where I even worried that this may just be a prop, but it felt too good for that to be possible. Blade was perfectly balanced and weighty, and who would make completely random runes when it was so much easier to just choose easily available ones? I could buy it being a movie prop, but even then, why, why spend the money to make this? And if it was a central part of a movie, why wouldn't anything pop up with an image search? I sighed and I placed it back onto the shelf. <sighs> gathered my clothes to take a shower. I saw my little brother Steven take a glance over at my knife, but I had faith he knew better than to touch my things. He never touched anything else of mine and he knew exactly where all of my medieval and ancient style weapons were. I hopped into the shower and after a minute in, my dad started slamming at the door with more force than I've ever heard him slam. With my chest tightening, I hopped back out, wrapped a towel around my waist, and I opened the bathroom door. My dad stood on the other side with a red face yelling, Why did you let your brother touch your knife? Oh no, he actually did it. I swallowed as I wondered what may have happened, but as I ran to see relief washed over me, it was only a small scratch on his forearm, and it may create a small scar, but... It didn't do anything major. He would need a tetanus shot. My mom looked over me and frowned. What are you doing? Put this thing away. First you sleep with it and now this? She spat, nodding her head back and forth with her head bunched up into a stressed frown. I had it up on a shelf. He's eight. He should know better than to touch my things. I argued. As in hindsight, he shouldn't have even been tall enough to reach. He didn't touch it. The knife fell on him. We're lucky his injuries weren't worse. My mom said, and panic swept over me once more. What? It fell. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I said, eyes wide as I considered what may have happened. Had I truly put it so close to the edge? I had to have, otherwise this wouldn't have happened. I couldn't recall seeing it teetering and generally I'm fairly careful with my things, but considering all that had happened with the blades thus far, I wrapped it up with a cloth to keep it safe and I tucked it away into my nightstand. There it wouldn't fall again. My parents refused to speak to me through dinner. and. My brother fretted over the shot he would need to get since he had a severe phobia of needles. I ate my food quietly and I understood I was in the wrong, but the silence was killing me. Still, I kept it to myself, cleared my plate and threw it into the sink. I hurried off to bed while Steven got to stay up and watch cartoons. He wouldn't be going to school the next day in order to stop at an urgent care center for a tetanus shot. Thankfully no more high beams flashed through my window in the night so I actually got a good night's rest. I even woke up early. So I went to my backyard to play with my Rottweiler marbles. He was a good boy and 
mainly an outdoor dog, so moments like this when I could relax were mainly when I could see him. He slept indoors and stayed inside in the winter, but since it was in the spring months, he, he spent most of his days out here. As I neared marbles, I heard a distinct sound of growling. But that wasn't too odd. After all, Rottweilers are known for grumbling even when nothing was up with them. They were very vocal dogs, but as I grew closer to them, I realized this was true growling. Marbles turned to me suddenly, growling until realizing who I was. He sat down beside me, tail tucked behind his legs, and he whimpered as he looked over at the abomination on the ground in front of me. He'd been growling at what seemed to be a baby deer, except all of its skin was gone. This wasn't a fetus either, it was, it was pink. It was bare muscles, like a grapefruit pulp and blood stained on the ground nearby. I found it peculiar a Rottweiler would be afraid of such a thing as an animal, but I pushed it aside as I ran back inside. I found my dad cooking bacon and eggs in the kitchen and immediately I stuttered and pointed outside. Dad! There's something out there like, like a baby deer! But, but, but it's, it's not right. M Marbles is scared, I said. Dad tisked, but he still went outside. I kept watching the stovetop as he left, and he returned soon with a grim look on his face. His eyes were wide, and he held his hand over his face. I've never seen anything like that. A wild animal must have left it. I, I disposed of it. Best not to worry. Well, it brought me worry even if it was a wild animal, as what animal skins its prey without eating it, I just continued about my day. Though this time I had the urge to return to David. It would be odd for this blade to be related to the skinless deer, but still. I had a lot of desire for the supernatural to be true, and... If he experiences something odd, perhaps this would validate ideas on the paranormal. More importantly though, if this truly had paranormal ties, I wanted them severed immediately. I would not risk my family for a cool trinket. Warning, signal interruption detected. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. 
Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry, while Steve separately researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Signal connection restored. After school, I rode my bike to David's. As I entered, he welcomed me warmly and I went straight to the counter. He smiled his rotten smile and I returned the gesture. Back so soon, Joey? He asked, and I nodded. I actually wanted to ask more about the knife, I said as he rubbed his head. I don't know much more than what I told you already. He said, following a fly in the shop with his eyes, though one eye seemed a bit slower than the other. What was the man who gave it to you like? I asked, trying to find ways not to invalidate his claims while still gaining more information. As I said, he seemed to be a junkie, he said. He shrugged his shoulders. Sorry, I don't know more, kid. Did, did he have anything noticeable about himself beyond that? What makes you say he was a junkie? I asked. And David chuckled. He found amusement when I became hyper fixated on the small details. and I was thankful he showed no impatience or anger with me. His skin was peeling away on his arms. He must have been on something strong. David said. A light bulb clicked in my head. Uh, thank you, David, I said, waving as I hopped back onto my bike and I headed home. Skin peeling. I've heard of some hard drugs causing people to rot as they still lived, and there were definitely diseases with such an effect, but I had a bad gut feeling. Specifically, peeling skin was strange and though I considered causes such as shingles, the risk was too high. 
First my brother is cut and then a deer is dead in the backyard, skinned alive. The blade caused too much already and with all of my horror movie knowledge, this was a bad sign. Or severe paranoia, but which one is ultimately deathly? Paranoia seemed a better route than allowing potential pain. As I hopped off my bike, I heard marbles barking in the backyard. Now this dog didn't bark almost ever. Immediately, shivers ran up my spine. Especially since I noticed I was home alone. My parents' cars were gone and they wouldn't leave Steven here by himself. I ran to the backyard and I immediately fell backwards. Around my dog was a pack of dead wolves, skin removed as the, the baby deer had been found. Both adults and pups were in the pile of carcasses and flies had already begun to swirl around the corpses. Marble saw me, whimpering loudly like an injured dog. When I got closer, I realized why. His legs, they, they had been peeling and his skin was loosely danged from his midsection. I screamed, releasing my dog from the outside tether and bringing him indoors. I stared at him, unsure what to do. I found medical tape and gauze in the cabinet and, and in a fury taped the gauze as best as I could to cover all around his legs. Picked up the Rottweiler and I placed him gently on our couch. I knew he shouldn't be on our furniture, but this time was an exception to the rule. Marbles whimpered as I stared at him. My mind raced and in a moment of clarity I ran to my bedroom. I quickly shuffled through my nightstand and I searched for the blade, but it was no longer here. Where could it have gone? Tears fell from my eyes and I hyperventilated. I sat on my bed for a moment to breathe. Then when I regained myself better, I made my way back to the living room. As I stared at the couch, I bent over involuntarily, retching as tears dripped from my eyes and snot left my nose. In front of me, Marbles lay sideways and his pelt listlessly next to him. He whimpered at me as his glazed eyes stared into mine and he looked at nothing. And in a moment, he had passed. Blood seeped into the cream-colored sofa and the dog's limbs went limp. The ceremonial dagger sat beside the corpse still as I wrapped it, only now the bandages were bloody. As I unwrapped it, I found blood filled with runic symbols, glowing. As I held onto it, I suddenly chucked it to the floor. As I stared at my hand, a massive blister began to form on the deep red flesh. The blade had heated enough to burn me. And as it had burned, I saw the high beam light emanating from it. And I heard the chants of some ancient and vicious civilization. I couldn't control my breathing then and reality just faded away. 
I felt an intense pain as my head hit the ground and there was nothing. After what seemed like no time at all, reality returned again and I found myself on the living room floor. It was now nighttime and my dog's corpse dripped blood onto the floor and I was saturated in it. I sat up in a haze and rubbed the bump on my head and with tears in my eyes and the numbness to my chest, I took the blanket from my bed and I threw it over marbles. No animal should ever die in such a crude way. I stared out at the stars in the sky and suddenly I thought to check my cell phone. My family still hadn't returned and I feared for Steven. He had been cut by the ceremonial blade and speaking of I had no clue where it had gone. Not that it mattered. I realized now that I had no control over it, I only thought I did. Perhaps it didn't even take a physical form. As I clicked on my phone I missed 30 calls from my mom and 20 from my dad. While normally I would panic, I somehow couldn't find myself panicking. Things had become too odd. It was so unbelievable I couldn't find a reason to stress over what felt like a nightmare. I called my mom back, not expecting for her to answer me so late. I heard only crying on the other end of the line. Joseph, why wouldn't you pick up? She cried, sniffling. I even heard dad crying on the other end and... I never heard that man cry. What is happening, mom? Everything is becoming hellish? I said, stuttering with wide eyes. What could possibly be so bad for you? This is not about you. My mom yelled and my heart felt even more frozen than it was. Marbles died. His skin was peeled off. I muttered. My mom took a moment to respond. When she did, she said, Stephen is in critical condition. We went to get a tetanus shot, and when the nurse looked at the wound, it had begun to peel. His skin has been peeling away all day. There is little left. I don't know if your brother will make it, Joseph. I hung up the phone. I had heard enough. I screamed at the ground and I stared high into the night sky. The moon looked so similar to the blade, and I began to scratch my wrists anxiously. I sat on the living room floor surrounded by the stench of iron as I stared into the moon in a trance. I continued to pick at myself as I stared, lobbing off chunks of flesh with the skin. I considered how the blade had been so neat in its cuts and as I did, I found myself scratching along the surface of my body more cleanly. Blood seeped down my arms over myself and merged with that of marbles on myself. Tears dripped from my eyes as I still gazed at the moon above. I swore for a moment as I picked that my nails themselves glowed with the blade's radiance, but it didn't matter. I would continue to anxiously tear as I stared at the glowing ball in the sky. 
As I grew less concentrated, only aiming to cut into myself, I would remove chunks from my arm. When I focused more, I would only remove skin. Before long, I could no longer feel my hands enough to pick, and that accused blade returned into my view. I slid against my body coldly, but in a way that was sort of like a leech's bite. It didn't hurt, rather, it was as if I had been on severe anesthesia. I stared at myself as I began to look like marbles, like Stephen, like all the wolves and the doe. My mind grew hazier as I stared into the moon and before long I found myself conscious in front of another glowing orb. But this wasn't the moon and it wasn't the blade. I was in a stretcher staring up at a light in a hospital room and as I looked down at myself I still had my skin. Was it all truly a dream? I laughed as I considered it all a dream and I looked into the side of me and my mom and dad were there. They sat quietly staring down at the floor. Where was Steven though? Well, it was a hospital. Perhaps they left him at home? Then a notification buzzed on my phone. And I turned to my dad who had my phone open on his lap. The notifications of them calling me, they were all there. This was not a dream. My brother and dog had passed then. With a depressed mind, I tried to reach out to my mom and dad, try to ask them for a hug, but my arms wouldn't move. As I stared down at shoulders, I realized with horror, they were picked clean of meat, and I followed my shoulders down. My bones shone against the hospital observation light picked clean from my shoulders below. Why did the blade react differently to me? Was it because I brought this curse? As I looked over to my mom and dad with tears in my eyes, they too cried. And then it hit me. I looked down into their arms and I filled the hospital with screams. The doctors pumped me full of opioids as I traced my eyes along the peeling skin on the arms of my parents. The blade would take everything from me. Everything but me. Joseph Tanner never left his hospital bed. By the time Redwood agents arrived, the youngest Tanner was deceased, and the two adults were already confined to their examination rooms. The hospital was immediately placed under quarantine, with all patients and staff denied exit or re-entry. Joseph was the only member of the Tanner family to survive his exposure to Dagger, if survival is what it can be called. It would appear that direct contact with RBP-0253 begins a degloving process, combined with unstable bloodletting, that is 99% fatal. To this day, Mr. Tanner's skin and flesh continue to slough off and regenerate in an agonizing 24-hour cycle. 
Redwood scientists have been unable to determine the molecular cause of this degradation, although there is an enormous interest in reproducing the process of tissue rejuvenation. At the time of my defection, inhumane experiments were still being performed on Mr. Tanner. Those within the afflicted's vicinity also begin to experience adverse effects that lead to a complete peeling of the epidermis and eventual death. How wide-ranging this radius of contamination is remains unknown. It is hypothesized by some in the Infectious Disease Division of the Bureau that direct contact with Dagger may release previously unknown bacillus bacteria, similar to leprosy. However, that would not explain why wearing gloves while handling RBP-0253 seems to spare some individuals, as was the case with David Sewell, the proprietor of David's Antiques. It almost appears as if RBP-0253 is capable of choosing its victims. When Redwood Bureau agents arrived at the Tanner's residence, the family's Rottweiler could not be found, although a large blood stain on the couch seemed to confirm Joseph Tanner's account of his dog's death. A mountain of skinned carcasses nearly as tall as the house was discovered in the backyard, already swarming with flies. The denuded corpses ranged from neighborhood pets to local fauna to animals not native to the region, such as wolves, bears, and one or two species of catamount. All specimens showed signs of having been skinned alive. The carcasses were burned, and the Tanner's neighbors were compensated for their silence. What this was, was a recovery mission. The truth is that RBP-0253 was stolen years ago from a Redwood Bureau containment facility by a former researcher. It may be inferred from a torn glove found at the scene that the handler made direct contact with the blade, resulting in their exposure to 0253's influence. That this researcher may have been the same individual who sold the knife to David Sewell seems likely. Their ultimate fate remains unknown. RBP-0253 is currently categorized as lethal, but only time will tell if its continued uncontainment may lead to a disaster-level event. Dagger has the potential to be a weapon of mass destruction if wielded by the wrong hands, or if it finds its way deliberately into the wrong hands. For now, the blade appears to be lying dormant. No further instances of mass skinnings have been reported, although accounts of mysteriously stripped carcasses have been increasingly documented in the area over the years. Wherever Dagger is now, rest assured, it's deadly. Remember to always wear gloves when handling artifacts of unknown origin. Stay vigilant, and don't let the case files of the Redwood Bureau get under your skin. RPP Report 0253 deactivated. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 